This is Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. Hello, thank you for tuning in. I'm Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. And here, as ever, to unearth the inspiring, instructive, and highly practical wisdom of a Torah passage with a fellow seeker of biblical truth. I am delighted today to be joined by Rabbi Sergio Bergman, an Argentinian rabbi, pharmacist, writer, and social activist. He is now the president of the World Union of Progressive Judaism, which is the umbrella organization for the various branches of reform, liberal, progressive, and reconstructionist Judaism. And Rabbi Bergman oversees, in this capacity, 1,275 synagogues. Rabbi, welcome to The Rabbi's Husband. Thank you, Mark, for having me here. This is great to be with you and also to listen, learn, and sharing the knowledge of our sage and our Torah. This is really great. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to discuss with you your chosen passage, which is uh, the first passage in the Bible, in the beginning, Genesis 1-1. So tell us, what happens in Genesis 1-1, and uh, why is it significant to you? You know, this is for me so important because every beginning, it's the way that we can start to tell a story. Every time when you start to tell a story, one of the critical issues is where you start. Why? Because draw out where you want to arrive. And I think that this is so important because every episode, every part of our Torah need to be reinterpreted at the light of the beginning of the beginning. That means that Bereshit, Shanesis, the beginning, is the universal message of the Torah and the Jewish people. Why? Because, you know, Rashi explained us that maybe we need to start the Torah from Shmot, from Exodus, and not from Genesis. Why? Because in Exodus, we have our story, the freedom, the first commandment that we need to remember the month of Nisan, when we go out from Israel and we became from a tribe, from a family, we became the people, the people of Israel. But the wisdom of the Torah is to teach us that we, the Jewish people, if we really believe that we are committed to be the chosen people, it's not because we are the chosen people because we are better. We are selected around the nations. No, we are the chosen people because we need to deliver from our particularity a universal message. And here in Bereshit, we have the beginning of the beginning of humankind. And the Torah is not a book of history. The Torah don't try to share us the literacy. Because, you know, when we start to read the Torah and hear the first part of the Torah about Bereshit, we can make the mistake to try to say, okay, you really believe that the world was created in seven days? I think you're so right. And I think the proof of that, of how right you are, is right at the beginning of Bereshit, where plants are created before the sun. If it was a history book, you can't have plants before the sun. You need the sun before plants for photosynthesis. But I think that's the message from the text telling us this is not a history book. The plants are before the sun for a reason, to teach you this is not a history book. It's a guidebook. You are right. And then if we need to choose between science and the literacy of the Torah, and if you take a kid and you ask him, maybe the kids will we ask you, where are the dinosaurs? 
because the Torah don't tell us about dinosaurs. We have a, lo a long story about history, but, but here, it's not history, it's not science. What tried to teach us the Torah? The Torah tried to teach us the meaning of our life and to keep the question open, not a close answer. And here in the beginning, we have the beginning of the beginning said, Pereshit bara Elohim et When God began to create heaven and earth, the Aretz Aita toba bo, the earth unformed and void, with darkness over the surface of the deep, and a wind from God sweep around the water. Bayomer Elohim yeior, bayeior. God said, let the light, and the light was good. That means that for me, beginning of beginning Bereshit, it's the question about the light. Why God, when he makes the creation, start with the light? And you know, Mark, if we really try to check the ongoing process of creation, only in the first day, why he start in the first day with the light? And also we can discover that creation begins with lights and was the first creative action because light connects matter with energy. And the Torah teaches that before Einstein, that really explains us the relation between matter and energy and light. Energy is mass time, the speed of light squared. In the week of creation, here we can discover that this light of the first day is the light of creation. But only on the fourth day, God created the star that illuminates the sun and the moon and the star. It's written in the Torah. The God says, let there the lights in the expanse of the sky to separate day from night. Then shall serve a thing for the set of times, the days and the years. That means we have the physical light only in the fourth day. And then what is the first light? What is the light? What is the light of the first day? And this is for me the, the answer to your first question. What is for me so exciting this passage of the Torah, this episode? We need to discover what is the meaning of this first light. So what is the first light? Okay, this is not my answer because you know that rabbis, we need to be, first of all, not only teachers, we need to be students. And then I learned it from Martin Buber. Oh, whole oh, great philosopher, really a teacher of teachers. Because Martin Buber not only make a contribution to the Jewish people, he make a contribution to humankind. Because his philosophy that is rooted in Jewish values was a big offer to humankind about exactly this passage. He called from the mystical tradition that we call it the Kabbalah, but it's the mystical tradition of the Jewish people. What means the first light of creation? And they call it Or Aganus, the light that Eden. This Eden light is something that we can show in the physical world. This Eden light is exactly what God puts in ourselves and in the nature. Wow. So it's not a physical light. It's a spiritual light. Is it our soul? This is an example. Our soul, it's part of the revelation of this kind of light. I can't really share with you my belief. I think that this light is God's presence. This energy is God's presence. And this is the first part that he shared with us. He said, okay, 
I will build, I will create the world. What is the first thing that I will do? I will put myself in the physical world. You're right, because the light can't be the sun or the stars because they come in day four. And what other light could it be? But this is part of our journey, Mark, that is to discover the difference between physical and spiritual. We need the two things, you know, and you told it before, plants, animals, nature needs the physical light. And also we, we learn from the Torah that the physical light for the fourth day of the creation is the light that we use to try to fix the time. Why? Because the light, it's the circle of the light of a day. By Erev, by Boker, Yom Echad. This is a day. This is the circle of day. But then we have another circle of time. That is when the start of the sixth day come out, we call it Shabbat. And this is also another, another light. It's not the same light of the sixth day, the light of Shabbat. And then we, because of that, we light candles because are the candles of creation. We have in Shabbat two candles, Shamor Besachor, that we need to keep and we need to remember. But also we have the two lights, the physical and the spiritual. The light that we like in the activities that we run six days, but to remember the light of God that is in our life. And also we have the light of the moon, that is the Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh. We use the light of the moon to say this is part of our spiritual circle. And also we have the connection between the moon and the sun, because with the sun, we have also Rosh Hashanah. That means when we close all the circle between nature and the spiritual work, we live from the nature, we live from the, the earth, but we need to respect nature. We need to be sustainable. We need to respect what we use from, from this circle of, of life. But in any case, all the time we need to discover to go forward to make our own revelation. Where is the hidden light? Where we can bring more light to the world? And this is not only a Jewish task. This is also interesting. It's a universal challenge. This is part of humankind because we need to remember, because I love so much Genesis, you know, I love it because this is the story of humankind. And this is the story that we can tell not only between us, the Jewish family. We need to go out to the world and to say, Adam, the first man, and Chaban, the first woman, they wasn't Jewish. They wasn't Jewish. No, there were no Jews. No, <laughs> that's great. The sacred Torah start the story with the universal message that all of us come from the same woman and from the same man. Right, and it's, it's so interesting, your interpretation of this light as God's light, because... The Torah starts, as you said, with in the beginning. Now, what does every beginning have? Every beginning does not have an ending. Certain things don't end like, uh, well, the Torah, we don't get to the promised land by the end of the Torah. So the Torah doesn't really end. That has a beginning and no ending. Lots of things do. But everything that has a beginning has a purpose. You wouldn't begin something unless you had a purpose for doing the thing. So by the virtue of, of the Torah starting by saying in the beginning, God is announcing there's a purpose to all of this. And what you're saying is then, as soon as he announces the purpose, he puts in his light. Yes, and like you said, this is also a connection between the beginning of the Torah and the time that we are living today in our context. I think that also is a challenge for us, you know, in this difficult time that we have the, the COVID and the pandemic times, it's not easy to face 
this challenge time. And I think that it's part of the contrast between light and darkness. And this is also part of our work that we call it Tikkun Olam. That means how we can fix the world together, bringing more light. And we are on the time that Hanukkah is coming. And I make the connection, you know, with this Bereshit story and the meaning of Hanukkah. Because Hanukkah also have some material stuff and some spiritual stuff. We are talking about the oil, the sacred oil of the temple of Jerusalem. But you know, the more important thing that we celebrate is not the oil, is the miracle of the light. Because the oil is the, the matter, but the light is the spirit. That's right. Yeah, the miracle is certainly not the oil. I mean, every Jew has a grandmother who could make one vial of oil last for eight days. Sure, sure. Right, we all did. We all did. The miracle is the light. The miracle of Hanukkah, perhaps, is that we're still celebrating Hanukkah. What are the odds? I mean, what would the Maccabees have said? The odds of people celebrating Hanukkah in 300 years? Zero. But here we are. We are here, and also it's so close to something that we need to recreate. That means one of the mitzvot of Hanukkah is to show up the miracle, Pirsuma de Nisa. That's right, advertise the miracle. Yes, we need to advertise. And then this is a so funny thing that we need to do, Jewish people, that we are all the time afraid to keep our tradition in our houses, to keep inside the community, to keep and to keep. Now is to show, is to advertise, to go out and to out and to say the more sacred place is the place that you live in, our houses. Because the Hanukkah lights must be in your window, not in the synagogue. We can go to the synagogue to do that, but... No, it's got to be in your window or on your doorstep. Yes, and that means that the family, again, the family, it's also a Bereshit. The family, it's also a beginning. That means in your small table with your close friends and family, you recreate the miracle of the light. It's the beginning. And, and you know, Maimonides said that um, the experience of Hanukkah is so important that if you can't afford a Hanukkah candle, you are to sell something in order to get one. He does not say that about Shabbat candles, but then he was asked, what should one do if one only has one candle and Hanukkah starts on a Friday night? And he says, it's the Shabbat candle because we celebrate the victory in the home and peace in the home even before the greatest of all the military victories. That's exactly what also we need to honor in Hanukkah and the light and the life, because we always say to life, lechaim, and that means that is to life is to light. That means life is the light of God. That's right. Beautiful. And then also we need to recognize the place of our women's, you know, because to birth and to give lives is to give light. And our women bring the light, not only because they bless the Shabbat candles every week, because they bring with the food. Now we have the latkes and we have all the things that we can eat together and we share with family. But every day, our table in the family is the Mizbeach, is the Mikdash Me'at, becomes our little temple, the sacred place that we honor with light, with love with friendship, to be together, but to go out through the window to a world that is waiting for us, to make our own contribution, to make the three tikkunim that we need to do. The tikkun me that means to repair in ourselves the light of God. 
the tikkunam, that means to repair our people in every place. When I'm talking about our people, I'm not only talking about the Jewish people. I am talking about all the human beings from good willing to fix the world together. And tikkun olam, that means to keep the common house. We need to keep the house, the planet. It's the only house that we have. It's the house of all the humankind. And then we need to be not only sustainable, we need to be respectful when we take from the nature because nature is also our mother and also nature gives us life. That's right. Now, actually, that point Ra, reminds me of what is actually always the concluding question of the, the rabbi's husband, which goes from the sacred text of the Bible to another text, Andre Malroux's 1968 book, Anti-Memoir. And, and the point you just made really uh, resonate. So the story Andre Malroux tells in the book is he says, I just ran into a man with whom I served in the war. And uh, this man had saved a lot of Jews and then had become a parish priest. So I said to the priest, in all of your years of hearing confession, what are two things you've learned about mankind? And the priest said, one, everyone is much less happy than he seems. And two, there's no such thing as a grown-up person. So you've had the most varied experiences of almost anybody. You've been a rabbi, a leader of rabbis, a pharmacist, and you've also served in the Argentinian cabinet. One of the roles with which you served in the cabinet dealt with uh, the environment. So in all of your varied experiences, political, religious, leadership, medical, what are two things that you've learned about humankind? I learned, like the Torah teaches, that the Torah message is not what happened in the past. The Torah told us what happened today with us. And there are two stories that I want to share with you. That is my answer. What I learned from humankind. First, Cain and Abel. Abel and Cain. That means from the first time that we come to the earth, the first two brothers killed each the other. That means that we need to make the tikkun. This is darkness. This is darkness. We need to bring light. That means we need to rebuild the partnership between man and God. But more important of that, we need to rebuild the brotherhood that all the human beings, we are brothers because we have only one father or mother in Eben. That means that everyone is God's son or God's daughter. We are brothers. That means we need to fix the fair partnership between brothers. And I learned that it's not so easy, you know. And then we need to give our answer to say not only in any, like Abraham said, first of all, we need to answer to God. When he asks if you are the guardian of your brother, I learned from humankind that not always we give the right answer. We don't say, yes, I am the guardian of my brother. And we need to do that. We need to be there with our brothers. The second thing is from Noah, you know? Noah, why? Because Noah was not perfect. The Torah says that he was tam bedorotav. That means he was with integrity in his generation. That means for me, this is the role model. I can say, no, maybe Moses, maybe someone that is an hero. No, for me, the first hero of the Torah is Noah because he built the ark. And I think that we need to think in every generation, in every context, in every time, if we are ready to hear God's call, that call us, hey, wake up, build your ark, build your ark, be 
because the fluid's coming. In every generation, in every time, the fluid is coming. And you need to make the selection. Mark, if you need to build your ark, what do you choose to put inside? That is a great rabbinic question. <laughs> okay, what can I do? I am rabbi. No, yes, no, that, that, that's a truly great question. What would you put in your ark? Now, in Noah's case, he didn't have to decide very much because God told him. But uh, it's a great question. What would you put in your ark if you were going to recreate the world? And how recreate the world? And you, you know a funny story about Noah and the ark that nobody wants to t- tell this story. But now that we are in all the era of the Me Too and the feminists, I think that is the right thing to do because the Midrash brings some question about Noah. That means, what is Noah's wife's name? We don't know her name. Yes, but the Midrash gives us a name. And she's, the Torah don't say the name, the same that we have with the, the Lot's wife, that we don't know the name. But here we have a question, but the Midrash gives us the answer. You know, when you don't have an answer in the Torah, you go to the Midrash, and then the Midrash have all the answers, because the rabbi wrote it. I'm a Karaite, so we just go by the text. Yes, okay, but here we have a very funny story that say the Noah's wife, they give the name of Naama, and what? Nama does. When Noah brings in all the animals to the ark and the family, she brings all the seeds of every plant. And when the flood pass over and we go out from the ark, she makes the sacred work to bring all the seeds and to bring all the plants and to recreate part of the nature to make the balance between men and women animals and plants, that mean the balance. Because when we need to grow and we look for peace, we need to rebuild the balance inside and outside. And this is the meaning of shalom, to be shalem, to be complete. And this is also that I learned from humankind. Peace is not in even. Peace is not in God. Peace is in us. If we are really, really open to make the sacred work that is to invite God to be with us. And also, this is something that Buber teaches. Buber teaches, you want to know where God is? He is in any place that you invite him to be with you. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And really, I wish to all of us more light, more blessing, that the likes of Hanukkah come from us and to us And we can share the miracles of every day because every day we have a miracle to celebrate because every day we need to say for life and for light, Echai. I'm Israel Echai. That's right. Thank you. If you're enjoying this episode, I hope that you'll sign up for the Rabbi's Husband newsletter which includes book giveaways from our podcast guests, my weekly column on Christian Broadcasting Network, inspiring updates from United Hatzalah and African Mission Healthcare, and a behind-the-scenes look at my upcoming book published by St. Martin's Essentials, The Telling, How Judaism's Essential Book Reveals the Meaning of Life. You can sign up at therabbishusband.com or feel free to email daniel at therabbishusband.com.